When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Hello and welcome to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here and I made it. There were no faux pas with flying. Nobody got stuck on uh, any runways or anything. I got up in the air and back down in Cincinnati and we are broadcasting today myself and Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager from the offices of Pro Football Focus and I had the pleasure of reliving the storm that we got in Minnesota yesterday as it traveled east right into my face here, so I have just now dried off after we went to lunch. Yeah, my feet are uh, pretty pretty wet still, but uh, yeah, it was it was raining sideways on the way to lunch, so mm-hmm. you never get that uh, here regularly. You know, we made it, and we ate at a place that had a uh, Howard Taft painting in the restaurant, which, uh, uh, is there some connection to Howard Taft here, or the is that just the restaurant? So he's not like from Cincinnati, is he? Uh, I wouldn't know. No. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'm only been in Cincinnati for like a year. Stick so. to football, I guess. Uh, all right. So we've got all sorts of things coming today on the show. Uh, basically, what we're using this as is an NFL 2019 preview. I'm sure you used to watch like the Sports Illustrated NFL films. So I- I'm trying to relive that. I want to be Steve Sable and direct the conversation. And maybe every once in a while, if you just go, that would be fantastic. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so Sam Monson is going to pop in in the second hour. We will still do hot routes as we do every day. And if there are any questions that you have, feel free to tweet them at Matthew Collar on Twitter. And I'll try to answer as many questions or get the Football analysts here, pro football focus to answer. Uh, Mike Renner's going to stop by. So we've got uh, lots of things going on here. And of course, we are going to talk lots of Minnesota Vikings football. So coming up in a few minutes, we're going to discuss Irv Smith. What is his role going to be like on the Vikings in 2019? Garrett Bradbury, how can we statistically project him? This is going to be football injected right into your veins. So you're welcome. All right, Eric. Let's start this, though, because walking around here in the Pro Football Focus offices, it's a very cool industrial-style building. You've got all the football helmets up there. There's pictures of Chris Collinsworth everywhere. It's great. And I noticed something. The conversation here inside these walls has been about running backs quite a bit. It's actually been kind of amazing to hear everyone talking about what the Internet is saying about running backs. So has that been 
the talk around the PFF offices over the last few weeks as we get ready for 2019 football? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's always this question about, you know, what's what's happening in the NFL in terms of, you know, we, we're here, we watch the shows while they're on at, at the office and everything, and when you have Melvin Gordon going up and, you know, he's going to be a holdout for a new contract, Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott are two players that are going to be, you know, eventually signed by Dallas, theoretically, the, the latter of which you wonder, okay, is he worth it for Dallas? Um, and then, of course, you have the shows, Dan Orvlosky talking about, you know, <clears throat> you know, Zeke is that engine of that offense, so on and so forth. So, you know, we've done so much research on that position and on offensive line, as we'll talk about later, that we're sort of like, I think, uniquely positioned to answer this question, which, you know, our sort of opinion is, you know, the table set by everything else and the running back is sort of the food, but you got to set the table first. And, you know, if there's any money left, then go after the sort of high priced uh, dishes like uh, Ezekiel Elliott. So this is interesting to me because it gets talked about a lot. And if you go to Twitter, then you're going to see just headbutting back and forth or people talking past each other and not really um, making salient points that you're going to get a lot of. Former players or coaches say, oh, you guys are nerds. And then you guys say, well, we've got this outrageous amount of data, and here it is. Uh, But there's a lot of nuance to this conversation, and it matters quite a bit to the Minnesota Vikings and their offense this year because it's really clear to me that they want Delvin Cook to be the centerpiece of their offense. So I did a interview with Giants.com today (laughs) with Jeff Fiegels, which... So good. Right? Uh, Anyway... Jeff Eagles works for the Giants website, and I was so happy to talk with a former 80s and 90s punter for the Giants and Eagles and other people. But anyway, one of the questions, first questions is, hey, how good is Delvin Cook going to be this year? Because that's where the offense starts for the Vikings. I think the Vikings agree with that statement, is that's where their offense is going to begin. And having watched Delvin Cook play football in training camp, in games, what you see is a game-changing player who can break a 30-40 yard run at any time, who can catch a swing pass, turn it into a touchdown like he get against Green Bay. And having seen other running backs in training camp go against him, he's clearly better at football yep. than them. Yep. So it's kind of hard, and I get, I totally get this. It's kind of hard to explain this without saying, well, running backs don't matter, or they're all the same, and it's no different if one guy's better than the other. It's like, well, okay, at the same time. Delvin Cook breaks more tackles than anybody else. Delvin Cook can break more big plays than anybody else. And if you start your offense with him, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because he could do a lot of different things on the field. So uh, there's a little hesitation for me when you say it doesn't matter or it doesn't have that much value. You see what I mean? Yeah, the, di- the interesting thing I just thought of, you know, the Giants with Feagles was their punter won the Super Bowl in 07. Tiki Barber was the best back in the league for the two. Still playing in 07? No, that's the thing. He retired in 06. No, not Tiki Barber. I meant Jeff Fiegels. Yeah, Fiegels was their punter. Wow, he must have played forever. And but Tiki Barber, right in 06, was really good. And then retires, and the Giants win the Super Bowl with Ruben Drones and Brandon Jacobs as the running back. Because again, like I'm with you 100. percent I think you know running back talent. I mean, you see it from. The get-go, young peewee players, the running back's the best player. High school, generally, the running back's the best player. College, it changes a little bit, but the best player's oftentimes the running back. You get to the NFL, every single one of these guys is good. Good enough, right? And yeah. that's the point, is that you know if the table is set offensively, the situation often dictates the running back. And offensively, the 
the differential in output with a huge difference in input at the running back position is not that great. You look at Kansas City, you go from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes, that offense explodes, right? right. When you when you put in a new input at quarterback and he's twice as good, you're going to get twice or two and a half times the output. If you put in a running back who's twice as good, you might get 10% better output, sure. in which case the issue is is like in a in a league where salary cap you know scarcity you can and and then also the fact is is running backs they age poorly right so then it, it's just it's just a matter of all those things none of us i think i wrote an article about ezekiel elliott earlier in this offseason we're not saying zeke isn't good or he's not a, a terrific football player what we're saying is like relative to other running backs it's just you know the reason quarterbacks are so valuable the reason edge players are so valuable the reason corners are so valuable is scarcity there's just not that many that can really make that type of impact at the nfl and the nfl the game of football is more sensitive to brilliance at that position than it is at running back. So let's talk about Delvin and what his real impact is on a team that sets the table better. Let's assume that they have a better running scheme than they did last year. Last year, it seemed like John Filippo had sti- studied the entire history of football and wanted to pull out every different play he could come up with Instead of having his own type of scheme, it wasn't a Shanahan style or a West Coast style. It was a mix mash where he tried to take all football schemes and put them into one and game plan each game. So he'd have a brilliant game against Green Bay in Minnesota. It was a brilliantly called game. It was a brilliantly designed game. They got the ball to Rudolph. They ran a swing pass to Delvin Cook for a touchdown. It was just well executed. And then the very next week, they look like a different offense. They're not using the things that work for them. So I don't think that Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski are going to make that same mistake. I think they know what they want, and that is to use outside zone runs for Delvin Cook, which is his bread and butter. And if you look at his numbers the last two years, consider that uh, you guys at PFF would have ranked their offensive line and run blocking probably in the bottom five both the last two years, and he's still averaging somewhere in the range of 4.7 yards per carry. And another stat of yours, the elusive rating, which combines the, the yards and the broken tackles together, he's one of the best. So if this Vikings offense improves the scheme and with the offensive line, we'll talk about Garrett Bradbury in a little bit, but if you improve those things, I feel like Delvin Cook has a chance to be one of those special running backs where his yards per touch are up above six, and he's a consistent difference maker, maybe not quite to the Saquon Barkley level, but in that ballpark. Yeah, I mean, the last time the Vikings offense was really good, it was in 2017, where they used mostly Jarek McKinnon out of the backfield as a, as a pass receiver, and he got a ton of value there. Um you're right. It's weird how we judge running backs because there's sort of two different things. There's the yards before contact, which are generally scheme, offensive line driven, how many players are in the box, all that kind of stuff. Really things that running backs don't control. The one thing is you talked about that they can control is their ability to break tackles and their ability to get yards after breaking tackles. We sort of fold that into something called elusive rating. Dalvin Cook's been great there. Um, you know, the, the really sort of solid running backs, the, you know, if you're trying to predict fantasy performance or things like that, you know, sleepers, it's always this ability to break tackles. Kareem Hunt was one. Otto Toledo was great there. Kansas City, the first two years, he was terrific. Um, in, in terms of you know talking about trying to simplify things, 
you only have to look at Los Angeles, right? The Rams run one of the more, I wouldn't say simple, but like they do a few things extremely well. Mm-hmm. And, and they have that thing down cold. And I think anytime an offensive coordinator is trying to do too many things, like the game moves so fast. You're calling third down on first down type of thing. And so if you don't have great intuition because your offense is so, um, you know, it's so complicated, right? Then you're just not going to be a step ahead of the defense, and and that's important in today's NFL. You need to be deceptive. You need to be a step ahead of the defense, and I think that they have a better potential to do that this year by simplifying the schemes a little bit, and you know by having a better offensive line and having you know hopefully a more efficient and frankly a more aggressive Kirk Cousins passing the football. And uh, to your point, in the locker room and Mike Zimmer at the podium, pretty consistently talked about how complex. The offense was under John DeFilippo, and having met DeFilippo, he's an incredibly bright guy who you could throw anything at with offenses, and he'll know the the scheme, the origin, all those things. But there's a difference between knowing it all and having some understanding of it and owning something. And Gary Kubiak might be the best example where... I would bet you could go to some defensive players in the league and say, all right, tell me what to expect from a Kubiak offense, and they could nail the whole game plan. Mm -hmm. But if you have the guys who can execute it, it's stuff that's worked for a really, really long time in the NFL. The zone runs are about the simplest thing. You hear it all the time, but it's everybody block left or right. And then the running back look for a hole and run in that hole. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really that simple. Mike Boone, the backup running back, and I were talking about this. He, he basically said, you get the ball and you got three options. You can either go outside and follow them. You can cut up or you can cut back. And the cutbacks have big play potential, but you could get caught. And, and there's more to it than that. But it's not a super complex running scheme. It just works and works and works. And with Delvin Cook, it seems to me like you're going to have the potential for a lot of big plays, which if there's one way that the running back does help the quarterbacks, that's what we hear all the time. Oh, you got to have a running game to help. Well, we know that that's not really true with play action. But if you have a drive where you give the ball to someone, you didn't do anything as a quarterback, and they run for 30 yards on one play, and you stress the defense that way by getting on the other side of the field and you didn't even do anything, you're in really great shape as a quarterback. And I think that that's where it can impact is if you can get explosive plays from that running back. Yeah, I mean, we when uh, Zach Robinson, who's now the the, – quarterback coach for the Rams when he worked here last year one of the things that he told us you know we were on sort of our crusade about the importance of the pass game and the run game and all that kind of stuff he said you know there is something restful about turning around and handing the ball off to a running back right Mm -hmm. and 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 so there is like there is obviously I sort of think about it as sleep right so sleep isn't particularly productive right but you have to do it about a third of the time and and so you know with your quarterback if you're constantly on right you're constantly reading the defense all that kind of stuff it does get fatiguing and at, and a long drive if you can take a couple plays in the in a long drive and just give your quarterback a mental break i do think that that has some value and even though you might be dumping expected points by doing it or you know decreasing your win probability a little there is some value there and then when you have a guy as you said i mean the the sort of breakaway potential if you can gain 40 through the on the ground it's not particularly predictive. It's not all that kind of stuff. But you give your quarterback a little bit of a break. You give him a little bit more confidence. And I do think there is some sort of like second, third order effect there. There, I, I think in in terms of different ways to talk about whether running backs matter or not, the psychology of the game 
comes into play here, which is why it's such a fascinating topic, and I love asking everybody what they think about mm-hmm. it, because a lot of ex-players, especially in the 90s or early 2000s, where running backs were just the thing and everyone wanted to run, is you know they would all tell you, oh man, if you had... Ladanian Tomlinson or Sean Alexander back there, then you were all set as a quarterback. Yeah. And the offensive linemen, they love run blocking because they're going forward, they're not going backward. And if you think about how much easier that is to just pick up your feet and plow someone as opposed to someone coming at you, there has to be something to that, even if it's hard to quantify, of a left tackle getting out in space and hammering a linebacker a couple times in a drive as opposed to a defensive end with a full head of steam over and over and over and over again. And the other thing, too, is that defensive end gets to see how you set yourself yeah. as, a, as a pass protector and all these things. And the elite players probably don't struggle with this at all. But I think about the Riley Reef who's a much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. And if you ask him to pass block 50 times in a game, you are playing with fire at that point. And so even if the expected points go down a little bit technically over a big giant sample when you run the ball, if Riley Reef can plow some linebacker and you can run to the outside and get five yards or four yards on a play, you're going to take that as opposed to throwing the ball 50 times because that's going to fatigue him and give Khalil Mack 50 shots at hitting a guy that doesn't have the best you know, pocket presence of all time in there. You know what I mean? I, I could see that there would be a value for that to just not ask Riley Reef to block Khalil Mack on this play. Well, and it's also, think about this, uh, the the athletic mismatch between somebody like Daniel Hunter and even somebody like Tyron Smith sure. is the largest among in the entire game of football. There's never going to be an athletic mismatch bigger than freak defensive end versus fat left tackle, right? <laughs> and so the number of times a left tackle has to be you know, a number of times a left tackle has to be exposed in that way, i.e. in the passing game versus in the run game the left tackle now turns the tables. They're stronger than that defensive end, and they get to impose that strength over and over. So from an offensive lineman perspective, I can totally see where they're coming from, right? And and this is why, again, like I think Gabe Kapler has been on your station a few times, the, the manager of the Phillies. You know, he's sort of said, like, you have to speak... You have to you have to give incentives to players to understand these things. You have to give incentives to coaches to be more analytical. You have to and and I think like you know to be fair, I think we try at PFF, but there are sometimes we just get worn down and we're you know we can be sort of very I would say harsh with our words in terms of you know sort of how we spread the gospel of uh, analytics. But you know I, there's got to be a way to sort of impart on your on your team like look if we pass the ball here, you're only going to have to play seven plays on this on this touchdown drive instead of the 15 you're going to have to play on this long drive with mm-hmm. all these runs right or we're going to be ahead more and if we get ahead more by passing the ball then you get to run block the rest of the game because we're going to be ahead like there are certain ways i think you can sort of incentivize playing efficient football but i totally understand the 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 evolutionary process of people is not towards efficiency necessarily all the time so uh it it is you know it is something to be cognizant of and to be i think empathetic towards you know people who play the game and maybe see it differently than we do Broadcasting inside the Pro Football Focus offices. Lots of good football talk coming up for you when we return here from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we're going to a Reds game tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Not today because it's pouring outside, but uh, I am excited to see Yasiel Puig. I saw Yasiel Puig get a home run on my honeymoon in San Diego. 
Oh, nice. Was that like his rookie year or something? Yes, it was when he came up, and it It was was Puig Mania or whatever else. And actually, I think it was kind of cool because what we did was we went to San Diego, then drove up the coast all the way to San Francisco, and they played the Dodgers in San Francisco, and we saw him hit home runs in both cities, and that's when he was the hottest thing Pretty cool. So I'll catch up with Yasiel, old it's buddy. It's bobblehead day tomorrow night. I know. So it's going to be amazing. Really fun. He's yeah, always yeah. been really fun. And he's starting to hit better now. He, I mean, he really struggled at the beginning here. He did, yeah. You could debate on whether he's got the on-base percentage or whatever else, or if he can be consistent enough. But he is an entertaining player to watch. And when they went sleeveless, I want more <laughs> sleeveless baseball teams now uh, because of that. Anyway, so we are in Cincinnati here doing the show, Purple Daily. We'll take a quick break. How do we statistically project a first-round center? All right, we're back here from Cincinnati, Ohio, inside the Pro Football Focus offices. There's a little Cleveland Browns football in front of me here. There is a shoe that Baker Mayfield sent Pro Football Focus was it because you got him drafted number one overall, or because uh, you? Well, just... we can't take full credit for that. That's a but. But that's something we certainly push for. Yeah, he. Uh, it was one of those. So I think we, he can. We just signed a deal with uh, Amazon Web Services, so um, and that was you know announced the other day. So I think I think we got it indirectly through like our AWS rep. Oh, okay. So well, he has been... not been to the offices yet. We did invite him the time that uh, they they came in and. Uh, Opened a can of whoop ass on the uh, Bengals. So, see, it, it would have been a much cooler story if you said that Baker Mayfield thought that PFF got him drafted and gave you the shoe. I think. Well, he he has thanked us a few times on the on the Twitter before. Okay, so. well that's great. That's great. Baker Mayfield's numbers for the quarterback analysis in that draft were as good as any I've ever seen you guys put out. Well, and it's one of those where we did a lot of math to test a lot of the things that football people are saying, right? Mm-hmm. So football people would say, well, he's a Big 12 quarterback, he's in the air raid, so he doesn't make enough NFL throws. So we went and built a, an algorithm that said, okay, what is an NFL throw? Well, you you know, and, and it's what you would expect. It's a, it's a deep crosser, right? It's a post. It's a comeback route on third and 17, right? And Mayfield, yeah, in an air raid system, you get a lot of plays that are pretty simple for a quarterback. And he, of course, did well on those. But on the plays, you know, where we subset and saw all the NFL throws, he was the best quarterback in college football for three three years running, right? And so you go to the NFL, and not only does he have success for a rookie, he has success for a quarterback period last year on a team that was a complete dumpster fire for half Mm -hmm. the year. So we're pretty happy about that. Kyler Murray was another quarterback that we sort of – Bang the drum for, you know, similarly, we did not think he would go number one. Uh, there's a, a video out of my colleague and I, George Shahuri, talking about he should go number one, but we know you're not going to take him. And hmm. then he goes, ends up going there. So um, that's going to be another one we're going to monitor here. Of course, we're going to be wrong about players at times, but, you know, May- Mayfield is a, a nice success story for us. It reminds me a little bit of when I used to suggest, when I used to write about hockey, and I used to suggest to people when they would ask me, Oh, so, you know, how can I get to write hockey and this sort of thing? And I would say, listen to Pierre Maguire. And I don't know if you get this because you're not a hockey guy, but every hockey person just went, why? Because Pierre Maguire is every cliche in hockey that you're ever going to find yeah. on a broadcast. But if you don't know what's being said by those people about these topics, then it, I, I think it's much harder to figure out what 
your fans, what your readers, and what your teams that you guys work with here, you work with all 32 teams, like what they would be saying and how you can test these things. So without people saying that Ezekiel Elliott is the motor behind the Dallas offense, you wouldn't have to go test it, right? And and I think it pushes us all when you have people who kind of have the traditional view of something and then we could test it. And a lot of times it comes out that it's actually right. I mean, the traditional statistics on Baker Mayfield are outrageous. If you drafted him off of the traditional stats alone, the touchdowns, the completion percentage, you would have gotten yourself a star quarterback, but you could go through with a fine-tooth comb and test these things. And I think that that's one of the coolest parts is that we've always said the same things about football, and it's like, okay, well, which ones of these things are true and which aren't? Because many are true. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's. And we've had these arguments. I think it was I said this to Jeff Schwartz, former Viking on Twitter. You know, he's like, you know, you know, we oftentimes we as math people get the you're disrespectful of our of our opinion and everything. And I try to say to him, No, we're testing your hypotheses. Right. Like we yeah. we respect you so much that it's your thoughts about football that we're putting to the test, right? And you guys are often right. You know, and mm-hmm. there are times when you're wrong. Like I it does not take analytics to tell me that quarterback is the most important position of football. We just established how important, right? And and we're and it, there are other folks like there are folks that'll tell you, you know, defensive coordinator is the most valuable position on the defensive side of the ball, right? And we're trying to test that. And again, it's just something like we do like that's you know it, back when I was a professor, it would be like you know the biologists out in the field. We test your theories, mm-hmm. like we're testing the football players out in the field. We're testing their theories, and it, I think it's a sign of respect but oftentimes they're wrong and it makes the game of football better no one is going to be upset if more coaches go for it on fourth down right right no one's going to be more upset or less you know more no one's going to hate the game of football (laughs) if quarterbacks are slinging the ball down the field and scoring more points no one hated that rams chiefs monday night football game a few people pretended to but everybody likes that kind of football and that's we're getting better right and 10 years from now the type of football that's being played now we'll laugh at it right just the way we laughed at you know sean alexander winning the mvp in 05 right and like but it, it just makes the game of football better but we're constantly as you said like studying the the traditional people's uh, viewpoints because they are that they're the null, they're the null hypothesis and the baseball example that I love to use is with batting average and batting average of balls hit and play the BABIP and all those things and for a while it was uh, analysts statistical analysts saying well it looks like a lot of it is luck with your batting average so then they get the stat cast thing and they can show you exactly how hard someone hit the ball. And then it's like, oh, no, actually, it was how hard you hit the ball that was your batting average, for the most part. It was just how hard you hit it. And I'm sure every scout in the world went, well, duh. Like, we've been saying that for I don't know how long. That's what they told us to grade is how hard the guy hits the baseball, and it's harder to catch when you hit it harder. I mean, so some of these things, I think, just make the game fascinating, and I love that it's so much more accepted now and understood now that we could take these conversations to the next level. I was just having a conversation in the hall outside before the show about how I'm not sure even fans were super interested in the differences between a 4-3 and a 3-4 10, 15 years ago. And now our audience here with the Vikings wants to know about how Garrett Bradbury is going to project statistically, which is a question that you are going to answer soon. But I, I, I'm just wowed by it, and I absolutely love it 
the people who send me you know, questions on Twitter or comments on Twitter that are just a very high-level football analysis. It's just become a really fun space to be in. Well, and we, you were talking in the hall with uh, my colleague Austin Gale about McKenzie Alexander and sort of how he became one of the best slot corners in the NFL last season over the last like half of the year, right? And like think about 10 years ago, we're not even talking about the difference between slot corners and corners, right? We're not talking about the difference between, you know, uh, you know, nickel, nickel linebackers and, you know, base linebackers and all that kind of stuff. And, but we, we, our football fans are so much more intelligent now, right? Mm-hmm. The average Viking fan knows Mackenzie Alexander's role in the Vikings defense and how that's fundamentally different than Xavier Rhodes's role. Yeah. And even though they're both drafted as corners, they're different things and how much and how valuable. So we had an article last offseason about how valuable throws to the slot and the tight end are. So we know, like, back when we played Madden 04, that <laughs> nickel guy was playing only on third downs against, yeah. you know, uh, light personnel. Now that guy's a starter, and not only is he a starter, but his role is extremely important, right? The fans know that kind of stuff now, so we as PFF we have to continue to push the envelope to continue to keep up with our fans and, with, you know, fans of teams to bring that kind of analysis because they, to their credit, have come along with us and, and become smarter, you know, consumers of the game. Okay, let's talk about Garrett Bradbury and how you go about projecting a center as a rookie and his impact on the game because I was listening to the PFF podcast with Sam Monson and Mike Renner and they were talking about rookies being pretty volatile and last year Frank Ragnow gets put in a tough position with the Detroit Lions for sure that their head coach did not have a real good handle on things and there were a lot of changes going on there were injuries TJ Lang went down and he was asked to play guard instead of center which is his sort of natural position but Ragnow was a great prospect and he really struggled in year one with Garrett Bradbury, he's a quick fix draft pick. Like you don't select Garrett Bradbury because you think five years from now you need a center to be the centerpiece of your offense. You draft him this year because your offensive line is brutal and you need it to be better in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And so we did a project, you know, this offseason, um, projecting player. Essentially, the idea is. Like, you know, we, we, to project a player with a given number is probably silly, right? Because we know, and this is why I think football will continue to be interesting and a sport like baseball won't, right? Like, in the sense that, like, Bryce Harper doesn't get signed by the Phillies until right, March, April, and that, and that's because all the baseball teams have the same information. There's no scheme in baseball. Yep. They all they all process the information the same, and so they've all come to the efficient conclusion about all these players. Football is different, right? It, it not every team is efficient, but it, let's assume they are. They all run a different scheme, right? right? They all do different things. So Garrett Bradbury's projection to a team like Minnesota is going to be different than to a team um, you know that runs more like power counter man and things like that, right? So you know, but we project. You know, I basically you know look and say, okay, well. What if he plays in the Vikings type of scheme with this certain out, you know projections of outside zone, inside zone, um, you know this sort of quicker passing game, et cetera, et cetera? And then I essentially uh, simulated like his third season, like a million times, and looked at the distribution. And he does, you know, relative to all the off, you know, the centers in this draft, he did have a ho- the highest win rate among all centers in the run game, uh, a little bit higher than Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M, who I thought, you know, probably could have been a better value for the Vikings, but is still a good player. His his win rate in pass protection is going to be probably above average, but centers don't really lose that much in pass protection. And relative to the others in his class, he's sort of like middle of the pack. But you know. 
I think I think he's got a better sh- a better shot than Pat Elfline did, but he's still like you know it's still going to be tough for him. It's not a slam dunk draft pick the way that, for example, Quentin Nelson was for the uh, Indianapolis Colts at left guard a season ago. So there's something that I bring up a lot on the show, and I think is hard to deal with for Pro Football Focus and really all of us outside of doing the adjustment with your brain on the fly but without exact numbers is the competition that you face and the division that Mm -hmm. you play in because playing in the nfc north is a bear get it you know bear bear. okay anyway i mean i've talked about this quite a bit but every one of these teams you have to play six out of your 16 games and every one of these teams in the nfc north is absolutely stacked at the defensive tackle position and then green bay just got better with zadarius smith who lines up over the guard and center sometimes and also lines up outside sometimes so he's this dangerous defensive line weapon for the green bay packers that they brought in from baltimore and the other guys are, are really good. Trey Flowers last year lined up in the center sometimes yep. over the middle, over the guard against the Vikings. It did some damage there uh, when he was playing for New England. So when I look at Garrett Bradbury and thinking about, well, where could he rank among centers for uh, the entire league out of, let's say, 30 play enough snaps or 35 play enough snaps to qualify? I think if he's in the middle of the pack, that's a huge win for the Vikings because of how difficult it's going to be to adapt from playing at NC State to facing Akeem Hicks and Damon yep. Harrison. Yeah, and we've seen it in Minnesota. It's a, it's a, it's similar to the running back discussion. The difference between the tenth best center in the league and the twentieth best center in terms of production offensively is not large, right? We saw in 2015, 2016, Joe Berger was one of the best centers in the NFL, and the offense had varying success in those situations because the center, you know, depending upon the situation, some centers have a lot more of a role to play in terms of calling the line checks and things like that. Some, like Berger, didn't. Right. And so that's something we can't measure at PFF, but just basic performance. Like you just want a guy who's not in the bottom five. Right. And you want a guy, you know, and the issue with Elfline was, you know, he had some moments, but because of injury or whatever, he was just a bottom five center. So you want to get Bradbury into that area. But it also brings up, again, this value situation. I talked about McCoy. He went a little bit later, right? If you can get basically the same production around later in the draft, that's sort of like why I think, you know, folks like us were like, well, you know, he's a good player, but it's not just about drafting good players. It's about sure. drafting good value. So, you know, I, I, have some, I have some optimism for the Vikings offense for a number of reasons, um, but... You know, Bradbury is certainly one of them, but he's not going to come in and make the type of difference that Quentin Nelson made. Now, so this is interesting because when I think about not only Bradbury as a player and as an improvement at that position, I also think about two other things. Elfline moving over to guard. Now, PFF stats had him as a better guard than a center when he was in college, and Tom Compton was playing there. Now, I've mentioned this to you before, but... I always think that the gain from an uh, incompetent player to an average player is really massive. And with Elfline going over to left guard, it's the thing that we haven't really discussed. I talked to Elfline once at OTAs and wrote a little article about, well, he's feeling pretty good about playing left guard. But ultimately, a fully healthy playing at a better position for him is uh, coming off of a season where they had a guy who had never played 16 games before, was a journeyman veteran who tried his best over 16 games and had to face Aaron Donald one night. I'd love you on your computer right now to call up what Tom Compton's pass grade was, pass blocking grade <laughs> against Aaron Donald. 
because it's one out of a hundred, but I swear it was like a six. It was yeah, yeah. it was the worst pass blocking performance that's ever happened. Now a lot, I mean, at least modernly, it looked like Lawrence Taylor just running by people that night with with Aaron Donald. So anyway, I, I think yeah, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up here because I actually don't remember what it was. But it, when he played, yeah, so his pass blocking grade in that game was a seven point one. <laughs> it's out of a hundred. <laughs> you hate to see is, that. Is that's, that is that the lowest grade that anyone has ever been given? For a single game in pass blocking, is there think, a way to look at that? I think so. I think the the least valuable player in PFF history um, was uh, Brandon Browner in 2015, the year he went and played for the Saints. And that's just because if you're a corner and you give up a deep ball, that's like a seven point play, whereas a sack is like a two point play. So, but in terms of players like that, like that, that's pretty low. I'd have to go and, and see, uh, you know, sort of how that ends up. Uh, stacking up, but you know, to your point, I think, and we said this before on your show, the the difference, and you look at wins above replacement, you look at grade, the difference between going from terrible to average on the offensive line specifically is bigger than going from average to Tyron Smith. It just is, right? So, and that's again, like teams like will overpay the Giants will overpay for Nate Soldier, the Oakland Raiders will overpay for Trent Brown, and the Patriots know all we have to do is d- get to Trent Brown. And and that's why they they win because they don't spend the resources to go from Trent Brown to Tyron Smith because it's not worth it. Um, so you know if you're if you're Bradbury or if you're Elfline, what's great about Elfline is the left guard is like the most the least influential position on the offense. You know, Cameron Irving was like the worst left guard in football last year. He played for Kansas City, best offense. They, in the yeah, they were okay. They, like. But at the same time, there are some positive things that that guy can do. He's going to pull more. We know he's great out in space. He's healthy, so maybe he'll be able to move better. And he's going to be and, – and at left guard and pass protection, you're often a help guy, right? And so he's not going to have to necessarily be the type of player that's always going to have to take on these pass rushes himself. So I think it's a good spot for him and one of the reasons I'm, I'm optimistic about the Vikings offense. So you ran through the numbers in projecting Bradbury. It's a little harder with Elfline. But the left guard, as you said, not quite as valuable. Where I'm focused a lot going into training camp here, Eric, is the right tackle position and Brian O'Neill. Because the Vikings have the potential here to have gotten a huge steal in that draft where there were a lot of offensive linemen that got talked about and Brian O'Neill was in the second or third tier of that. They pick him right at the end of the second round and everyone went... Okay, should have picked Will Hernandez, and by everyone, I also mean me. And with O'Neal, he was very impressive last year in the way that he handled a difficult situation. He gets thrown in. They started Rashad Hill at first. He gets thrown in midseason. He takes the job away, and he doesn't give up a sack. And I, and I know that he got plowed back into the quarterback a number of times, but I think he showed a lot of potential, and his athletic profile is really fantastic. So you add that with... More toughness, Zimmer said this, I totally agree with it, more toughness than you knew was there for him, and then put on some weight, improve in year two. Is there a way to figure out, will Brian O'Neill just always be a guy who is pretty good, but maybe not heavy enough for the position, or can he turn into something much more than that? Yeah, I mean, we, um, you know, we we saw you know, last season. You and I were sort of always like pondering whether or not he could have been uh, a good player because you know he was so light. You had remarked about you know when you saw him in person, he just you know he just looked young and he looked you know Looks small. Like a tight end, and 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 so the whole time we're sitting there thinking, okay, can he be that type of player? Uh, 
And so anything out of them year one was going to be gravy. So to me, I think like if you add that experience to it, you add an offense that frankly protects those players a little bit more. I mean, we talk about playing interior being tough in the NFC North, but in the NFC North, you have to play, you know, the Packers got Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith. Um, they also draft, I can't remember uh, the exact. Uh, Gray, right? Gray, yeah. uh, Gary? Rashawn Gary, uh, Rashawn Gary okay. in the first round. the The Bears played, you know, Khalil Mack plays on the left more than he plays on the right, so that's that's going to be Brian O'Neill's guy. Um, and then, as you said, Trey Flowers, but also the Detroit Lions, I think, are doing a pretty good job up front with Ashawn Robinson and those types of players. So that's not a trivial task, right? And the fact that he was able to help hold up with it uh, in his uh, in his first season, I think, it, you know, speaks volumes about him. And you know, when we did our projections for him, it was they weren't as, you know. Uh, they weren't as uh, favorable to him coming out just because of all those reasons, how slight he was. And then that Pittsburgh offense we saw with TJ Clemmings, he graded extremely well for them in 2014, struggled because, again, that off- the offenses that hide their tackles in college, they give us prospects that are a lot harder to predict. So, um, But I, I, I'm optimistic about him. To me, honestly, the, the thing that they have to be worried about is left tackle. The left tackle with Reef, he's a good player, but he's got to stay healthy. He's got to basically maintain that spot. And that's something that just hasn't, hasn't necessarily been uh, you know, consistent with Minnesota in the past. Okay, so the few things to get to here in our two hours. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up at 4 o'clock. I'm trying to adapt my brain. I'm in Eastern time zone right now. And it is just messing me up completely. But Mackie and Judd Rami coming up at 4 o'clock. We're inside the Pro Football Focus offices, a really cool place. What is your favorite? You mentioned Baker Mayfield's shoe. What's your favorite piece of like memorabilia that's around here? There's a lot of stuff on the walls and all sorts of things. It's very cool. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say... Um uh, I would say all the stuff that Chris has about his old broadcast. So you sort of go back and remember that he used to be on the, the Fox Sunday, the show with uh, James Brown and Howie Long and all them. And then he was once on with uh, Aikman and Buck. And then, you know, now he's on with Chris. So he's got all that memorabilia from all the times he's been a broadcaster. But he's also got stuff from when he's a player. I think he's certainly proud of his past and he should be. And I, I don't actually think that many people know that Chris Collinsworth was a three time Pro Bowl wide receiver. Uh, so it, you know, it's kind of cool to always remember that. Sometimes it concerns me a little bit about today's youth when I see yesterday that Barry Sanders turned 51 and you see all the highlights. So they'll be able to see some of the highlights, but if you're 20-something years old, you didn't see Barry Sanders play, because of course he retired a little on the early side. So maybe somebody who's 15 years older than me would be like, oh yeah, Chris Collinsworth, he was a great wide receiver. And I'm kind of like, oh, the TV guy? Yeah. And and I'm like, wait, so does this mean that the youth will not know Barry Sanders or... Thurman Thomas yeah. or Randy know, Moss. Randy Moss. Yeah. Well, that was the thing is that they asked Irv Smith about wearing number 84, and it didn't really click with him what was being asked. So he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I wore uh, 82, but that's Rudolph's number. So my dad wore 84. I was like, wait, wait, Randy Moss. That's what we're <laughs> asking about, Randy Moss. And, and, and it just didn't click because he's 20. And I don't want them not to know of Randy Moss. Anyway, I care about the youth. Of well, that's why I always give out those polls about Jake Reed and Chris Carter. Man, Jake Reed is so good. Uh, let's make sure that we spend a segment. It doesn't have to be today, here for three days, that we just spend a segment talking about players that were really awesome Minnesota Vikings when you were growing up in Minnesota and watching the Vikings. Because that's something that's cool about your connection 
and and the reason that we've gotten to know each other and do things like this is that you followed the Vikings growing up, and so did Sam Monson, who lived in Minnesota for a year when he was growing up too. He's going to come in here in uh, in a little bit, and we'll have hot routes as well. Lots going on, but uh, I want to ask you next about something that gets said about Tom Brady that I'm really curious about your reaction to a sort of, I don't want to call it a criticism, but a critique of Tom Brady that I wonder what pro football focus can tell us. Two fifty here at score North time for the score North download. Jonathan here. Good morning. Football was discussing wide receiver duos this morning and had this to say about whether or not the Vikings duo of Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are in fact the best in the league. Believe it or not, Rashad, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL, and A.B. Juju no more. That's hard to say. I mean, you got Alshon Jeffrey uh, now running with Deshaun Jackson. You got OBJ running with Jarvis. That's hard to say. I like Diggs, though. I don't know, man. Uh, I say yes. I said this earlier in the year, uh, and they Instagrammed it on NFL Network, and you'd think I said something sacrilegious. I think, Thielen and, I think Thielen and Diggs are the best wide receiver okay. duo. James Jones lists them over at NFL.com as the number two duo in the league behind Cleveland's Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, writing, Minnesota has two of the best route runners in the game right now. Their 2018 numbers prove as much. I'm sure you as Vikings fans have your thoughts. So let us know over on Twitter, at Score North. That's at S-K-O-R North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. We are here in Cincinnati inside of the PFF offices. Very cool place in kind of an industrial building. It's like, um, how would I describe it? How you envision a startup company kind of being cool and laid out spaciously inside of an old industrial building. It's it's a nice place. You remember the office episode where Jim and... Uh, uh, Jim Jim moved to Philadelphia, right? And then yeah. it was like, you uh, rem- remarked about how Facebook it looked. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I guess you could describe yourself that way. Uh, do you have a hot take on what Jonathan just played on the best wide receiver duo? Do you think it is Thielen and Diggs? Uh, I, well, I, yeah. I mean, you know, it, we're we're pretty objective about the Vikings. We're you know we're not fanboys in any regard. But like to you've been called a hater uh, online. I've, been, I've been called a hater plenty of times. But to to. To, especially with Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown now broken up. I think uh, Jarvis Landry has to do a lot more for him to get in that conversation with Beckham. Um, I think Thielen and Diggs are clearly the league's best receiver and duo. Not the best in Vikings history by any stretch, but the vi- best in the NFL right now. I mean, Chris Carter is a top 10 wide receiver ever and is the second best in the duo at a time. Well, Jake Reed and Chris Carter is a better receiving duo than Thielen and Diggs. Well, that one's going to get you in trouble, but I don't disagree. I mean, Jake Reed is the most underrated player in Vikings history, right? I mean, I, you he's have up to, there. You have it. Just speaks to how brilliant Moss was, right? Because Jake Reed like led the NFC in receiving yards one year, four straight one thousand yard years, and the moment Moss was drafted, Reed had no chance. <laughs> so it was like, but still, he was very efficient when they threw him the ball. He would catch he thirty-five, forty passes, and he yeah. would be terrific. They just couldn't pass up Randy Moss. Um, so no, I, I agree with you. And again, objectively speaking, uh, I, I just look at how many top 20 wide receivers there are and which team has two of them. And it's this team. 
And with Diggs, I think especially when you look at anything under the surface with Diggs, when you look like uh, look at his route running success, which Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports has done some really cool stuff with his reception perception, and he believes that Diggs is one of the top five receivers in the league because of how often he's open, the competition he faces, the fact that he plays outside instead of slot. You guys have the stat about man coverage. When they have man coverage on Diggs, he just dominates man coverage. And it's usually against the other team's number one yep. corner who's out there with him. And then you know, the fact that you can have this debate about whether it's him or Thielen, if someone's on Diggs's level at all, that means you're a spectacular receiver, and Thielen is just as good, and some people think maybe even a little better. Yeah, I mean, the, thing, the issue with Diggs, the thing that's going to keep Diggs out of discussions of being one of the great receivers in the NFL by himself is the injury thing. The injury thing. And it's yep. never catastrophic injuries. It's just these soft tissue injuries that cause him not only not to play sometimes, but when he does play to be less productive, right? If, if he were to play 16 games, you know, full strength, I think he would have statistics that would rival any of the receivers in the league. It's just for him. And that's why Thielen, in some people's minds, has lapped them, right? Because they play fantasy football. Thielen plays every game, gets 100 yards in 10 consecutive games or whatever, and they, they look at that sat and they think, oh, he's automatically better. But an availability is an ability, for sure. And, and, and that's to, to Thielen's credit. But them as a pair, I think, best in the league. Uh, and, and a great tradition in Minnesota. I mean, I mean, you look at the Vikings fans, we've been pretty Pretty spoiled, you know, growing up in Minnesota, seeing the Anthony Carters, the Ahmad Rashads, the and then and then got some Hall of Famers in there with Carter and Moss. If you could only combine Green Bay's quarterback history yes. with Vikings wide receiver history, so here's the question, uh, and we'll do hot routes coming up next. We weren't going to stop doing hot routes. No, no. It's the reason that you invited me down here was to do hot routes from Cincinnati. Um, Tom Brady is sometimes called a system quarterback. Mm-hmm which I think is fascinating because his execution is on a completely different level of everyone else. But isn't that like what you're supposed to do is, as a quarterback, execute the plays that are drawn up for you by brilliant offensive coordinators so if he does it better than anyone else, you can call him whatever the hell you want to call him, but he's going to win more than you can. So I'm just curious about if there's any way of quantifying when someone is called a system quarterback. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this with the the Mayfield thing. Oftentimes you can take throws that every quarterback can make and aren't very valuable. You can throw them out and just look at the plays. So the, the one of the ones was Case Keenum in 2017 on throws that basically don't differentiate quarterbacks. The Vikings had the highest expe- second highest expected points on those throws in 2017, meaning the offense generated a lot of opportunity for Keenum to look good, right, by throwing shorter passes that turned into yards after the catch, Etc. Well, the 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 complement of that set of plays is throws that not every quarterback can make. And Tom Brady, you know, I will say though, you know, it took a while for him to become truly elite, right? I mean, you're talking about 07, but then again, probably more like 14 before he was really this quarterback that I think, if you threw out the rings, is is considered one of the top guys, right? It was always the rings that buoyed him a little bit, but I think currently he is one of the top guys. The thing about the system quarterback thing is there's a difference between a quarterback who is a product of the system and a quarterback that produces a system. So Joe Montana, in my opinion, was a system quarterback, but he produced the system, right? And so then he, you know, he clearly was getting, you know, plays beneficial to him because of that system, but he was the, the, 
person for whom they crafted the system. I think Brady is in that role as well, whereas somebody maybe like her cousins is a product of the McVay system in Washington, right? I think that's the distinction. I think all quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. Pat Mahomes forcing Andy Reid to change his system around the two greater than the sum of the parts. Of course, he's a system quarterback, but he also builds the system as well, and hence he deserves a different dis- uh, distinction than somebody like Dak Prescott or somebody like that. And when you are consistently the most accurate thrower of the football, yeah. as Tom Brady is, and I think your statistics back that up, that he is yeah. the most accurate thrower, um, that's one that wouldn't take a whole lot of uh, figuring out with analytics uh, versus the eye test, but... everything is percentages. So if a certain throw is, for Tom Brady, a 70% throw, but for another quarterback, it's a 40% throw, that's just more you can do with the ball and more dangerous you can be on offense and more things that Josh McDaniels can dial up to put in his system to have Brady execute. So he doesn't run around too much, but he can make plays off script as well as anybody in the league, I think, for a slow guy, right? Absolutely. So, yep. yeah, well, I mean, you put everything together and you win a bunch of Super Bowls. Well, and that system has never been the same either, right? And early on, it was very much like run the football, throw the ball to tight ends, and then throw a slant to David Givens for a touchdown. David in the middle of the, the decade. Yeah, it was Moss and, and Stallworth on the outside and Welker in the slot. And then 2010, it was two tight ends running up the seam, right? And then Brandon Lloyd became, like, they've gone from inside players to outside players back to inside players to run heavy, pass heavy. Like, he is a system quarterback, but he drives the, the evolution in those systems as well. And he's able to adapt and be successful no matter what they end up doing. So, yeah, it, it, it's meant to be, like, sort of pejorative, but he's a very good, um, you know, yeah, I, I think he's a good quarterback, independent of the system, and sort of drives the the creation of said system. So the weather in Minnesota, I'm looking at this, is going to be pretty nice over the next few days. In Cincinnati, though, 97, 98. Yeah. Over the next steamy, few days, steamy too. That the you know why that is because the routes are, are so hot. That's exactly why. So we're going to go from 80s to upper 90s very soon when we return. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.